All right, welcome to episode 50 of First Generation Bowhunter. If this is your first time joining, you're probably a first generation bowhunter, and I am as well. That's why I started this podcast. My name is Adam Buchanan. I'm your host. If you ever have questions, thoughts, want to talk about gear, want to share success stories, drop me a line on Instagram, Adam underscore Buchanan. Spelled like the president, not Pat Buchanan. He was not our president, and there's no relation there. It's James Buchanan, possibly a relation, but that's for another time. Okay, so this is episode 50. If you've stuck with me, all these episodes, really appreciate it. It's been a fun year. I actually launched this back in March, and it's been a fun journey. It's been cool to interact with other first-generation bow hunters, swap stories, share ideas, and just learn, be better, kind of decrease that learning curve that comes with uh, those early days in bow hunting, which can quickly become bow walking, which is gets old after a while. So this episode is a little different. I am going to talk about a rifle hunt. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you don't think that I'm an exclusive bow hunter. I probably hunt with a bow 97% of the time. But this last year, we saw these cow elk rifle tags come up, and I put in for them, and my son and I both drew out for them. And so this hunt was basically the month of December here in Utah. I couldn't pass it up. I've always wanted to get an elk, but I am a terrible, terrible elk hunter. I cannot find them, cannot understand them elk hunting is just a whole new level and but this hunt is different in the sense that I felt like it was like one of my first hunts but I absorbed so much information and I wanted to share the experience here because there were so many different learnings different judgment calls and things that just were packed into a matter of 48 hours that I wanted to pass along because I think a lot of it replicates to bow hunting there was even an experience where I got into range at about 80 yards um, we had already tagged out but I was like oh my gosh I you know possibly could have done this with my bow but I didn't if you are bothered that I'm talking about rifle and you're like hardcore bow um, that's okay stick with me <laughs> I'll still talk about you know dedicated bow hunting experiences and tips and tricks and all that but, uh, yeah, hopefully you don't totally throw me under the fire here and cancel me or whatnot. No, but it, it was a really cool experience, and I'm glad I got to share with my 14-year-old son. And we'll kind of dive in here and share, share the experience. So let me give you a little lay of the land of heading into this hunt. Um, this was an area that I'm somewhat familiar with. That's why I wanted to put in for this tag. And I didn't have a ton of scouting behind this. And I honestly didn't even really talk to many people. I just kind of looked at Onyx. I was really leaning on Onyx, watching for open public areas, WMAs, just everything I could. Oh, WMA is Wildlife Management Area, if you're not on, up on the acronyms. I wasn't until like four days ago, so don't feel bad. Um, <laughs> so... You know, could kind of see some access points, kind of see where we could, you know, where we could park, where we could walk into, what's going to give us our best chance. I also was trying to get better at looking of where food was. 
the sagebrush. Elk got pushed down really early this year. As you know, the winter was, I mean, it came end of October, honestly, you know, early November, there's so much snow. So elk were getting pushed around. I had a pretty optimistic outlook on this hunt, but I didn't realize it was going to be as good as it was. We get into this area and we had been there two weeks before and didn't have a ton of time to spend. I was trying to kind of more spot from the road is the advice that was given to me of, you know, if you can find them up in the foothills, um, that would be kind of the best approach. And then you kind of walk in on, on an access area. So we went back and we only had a day. And as we were driving in, I spotted like five trophy bull elk on the side of the highway. Now, you have to understand, I haven't spent a ton of time elk hunting, and the times that I have, I've never seen anything. It just has been my lot, and I haven't put a whole lot into it. I've put more into white-tailed deer out west, and so this was just a chance to hopefully change the course, change the tables, and get into something. But as we're driving in, it's probably 7 a.m. We spot these like trophy massive bull elk and I just lost it. I mean, I couldn't even believe it. And so we pulled over, flipped around and we're checking to see if it was a public area and it was just dipped into private by like a quarter mile. So probably not the best to you know, go after them and see if they had cows with them. We did watch them for a while and could not see any cows. So they were kind of on their own. So we ventured back up to the area that we had spotted a couple weeks before and actually spotted two bull elk down in the foothills, probably like 300 yards from the parking lot. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I was freaking out because this has just never been an experience that I've had where you get that much visibility of animals that early. I mean, we're not even out of the car yet and we're seeing incredible elk. So that was really fun. It like got me really excited right out the gate. And I think that really helped a lot with this hunt because there was a lot of difficulties that came later, but I was kind of driven by, you know, seeing elk early on, which is great. Well, I wasn't sure exactly where to go other than we're just going to go up these rolling foothills and these hills are really not super steep. And it was kind of funny because you could kind of walk up these hills. It was rolling. The, The danger that came was they're kind of so easy to walk up that you can do four or five of them, but then you're way back in there. And that's where I'd say this hunt came with a lot of learning was we just kept going and kept going back, back, back and wasn't really paying attention to our our distance. And that was um, a bit of a difficulty with this one for sure. Well, we, we start walking in and not, not seeing a whole lot, seeing a ton of deer, deer were everywhere. And that was kind of fun. My son was getting pretty excited about that and, they were herded up pretty good. So it was always fun. it's always fun to see something. And I know that sounds really basic because it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you see something. It's whatever you're after that you want to go hunt. I don't look at it that way. I've tried to change my mindset on that. I think if you're seeing something, that should be a success. 
And so it hopefully just helps you fuel forward to get you through your hunt. Well, I, um, we, we started walking in, probably got in maybe three quarters of a mile, mile, and we're getting some steep stuff. And one thing that I tried to do this hunt was be very aware. And so as we're walking in, we see these sled tracks from like a kid's sled. And I thought, oh man, maybe we should get a sled, you know? And that was, uh, <laughs> let's talk about sleds this episode. Cause that boy, I'll tell you what. So I'm seeing these sled marks, you know, for a mile in, I'm like, gosh, there's an idea, you know, if you get an animal. And then I started looking towards that, where those tracks were going. And I saw all these birds on this hillside and I pulled up my binos, could see a kill site of an elk. And I was like, man, it's like a mile from the truck. Like that's pretty good. You know, that's pretty uh, exciting there. And so I was thinking like, okay, we're, we're where we need to be. This is cool. And we started getting really excited. My son's like, he's seeing this for the first time. I'm quite honestly seeing this for the first time. I mean, I had done a rifle hunt 15 years ago, had no idea what I was doing. We just drove around in a truck in New Mexico in the snow for like two days, didn't see a thing. And then finally at last shooting light, was able to take a few shots at like 400 yards and didn't even, I don't know. I was just so ill-equipped and it was not a great hunt, but anyway, we see this kill site and I'm like, man, we are not far from the truck. This is great. I mean, I'm just floating at this point. Well, we start to hike up. We're going up these hills and bam, about, I don't know, 800 yards away, I spot some elk and I am just like beside myself. I'm like, oh my heavens, like this is going to happen. And so I tell my son, I'm like, do you see him? He's like, yeah, you know, and so we start cutting distance, you know, cutting across, and I am just jazzed. I mean, super, super amped. So we take it takes us quite a while. You know, we got to go up the hill, down the hill, up and down, and we're just trying to cut this distance. It's like nine a.m., nine fifteen. I mean, this is this is legit. You know, this is all coming together. Well, we get in. And get on this kind of crest of a hillside. And I was a little worried about being silhouetted. But I felt like we were far enough away. They probably aren't going to, you know, worry too much. So lay the pack down and put my rifle down. It's um, Savage Access 30-06. Uh, it's got like a crossfire vortex. It's a pretty basic rifle. Uh, super, super simple. Well, we get set up and I start to range. And my rangefinder is just not firing. And I want to talk about this for a second because I think this is a big issue that people, other people might be experiencing of I'm not getting a reading on my rangefinder. Well, first off, you got to be patient and like slow way down and hold your hand really steady, especially for those far distance, because the laser is hitting off something and coming back. And first off, you know, here I am trying to range these elk. It's my first time like being in shooting distance of elk in Utah. I mean, it's just, just all new for me. So I'm freaking out. My adrenaline's going. I'm excited. My son's there. He's excited. It's 930 in the morning. 
yeah, I'm not going to get a range. The range finder is not working because I'm not holding still enough. So I went to a shop here in, we're in Boise right now for Christmas and went to a shop and I told him what had happened. And he was like, he's like, you got to hold that range finder still. You got to lay down, prop it up and just hold your hand really still or put it on a tripod because you're asking way too much of that device. That was a big, big learning for those long distance. So if you are supplementing some of your bow hunting with a rifle hunt and you're, you know, trying to get way out there, slow down, get propped up and, and, and get dialed in and, and your rangefinder will work. So wanted to share that. Um, and I, I think for bow hunting as well, if you're not getting a range, sometimes I was not able to get like a hundred yard range this season, you know, cause I'm trying to figure out how to cut the distance, how much distance I need to cut. And that was it. I think you get into deer and you're excited and you're shaking all over. That's not the range finder. That's the user error. So kind of a big, kind of a big takeaway there. I was, made me feel a lot better, but it also bothered me because in the moment I couldn't get it to work and I was range finding things around those elk and I was getting readings of like 250, 300, you know, so then I'm guessing and that was a big mistake on my part because I was like, okay, they're probably, you know, 400 yards away. Well, I start taking a shot thinking it's 400 and I miss. And I take another shot and I miss. And I take a handful of more shots. Well, by this time, they got bullets whizzing next to their head. Like they're not going to hang out for that. And so they started to kind of take off. Then they stopped. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And I, I just, it just all happened so fast. I got so excited and completely just botched it. It was awful. So they took off, they, they were way out of sight and I was like, man, you know, but it was exciting too. Like my son was excited. We were both excited and I tried to explain to my son, and this is from the episode of Josh Kirchner, uh, episode 48. When you have those moments that don't result in a harvest, but they almost did, if you're missing, if you get in, but you, you know, you get busted and they peace out. Don't look at that so quickly as a failure, especially if it's the first time you it's happened, because that honestly is a really big success and it's an exciting success because you now know, okay, I know where to find the animals. I know how to stock in. I kind of made a mistake towards that ninth inning there, so it didn't happen, but that honestly, having that conversation with Josh just a week prior and then going into that hunt honestly kept me going the, the rest of the day. And we honestly just had a day. We, we only had a day to hunt. So we, we were trying to get to Idaho for Christmas and kind of shift gears into the holiday season and whatnot. So I pulled my son out of school and that, that's, this is the only day we had. And so... After that happened, we kind of regroup and, you know, get some food, drink, and um, just kind of get, you know, keep our energy up. And 
talking to my son and I kept checking in with him. You know, he's 14. He's a strong kid. He competed on a mountain bike team this last season. He's got good legs, but I didn't want to make any assumptions that, you know, oh, it's fine. You know, you can keep walking or, you know, so I, I really tried to slow down with him, really tried to uh, make sure he was doing all right. And he kept saying, he's like, yeah, I'm great. I'm great. You know, it's all good. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, and I tried to take a little bit slower, like turn it down a notch. We did go over to the ridge that we were, the elk were, and I said, you know, I just got to feel good and make sure like there's no blood. And, you know, we looked everywhere and there's, there was nothing. One thing we did see though, was the amount of tracks and bedding areas in the snow was unreal. I mean, elk scat everywhere, elk tracks. I mean, it's just like a massive community of elk is where we were. And that got me super excited because I was like, man, if we just keep kind of hanging around these rolling hills, this is going to happen. You know, this is going to happen for us. So after regrouping for a bit and kind of checking out a little, you know, that area we were shooting at, yeah, I mean, we, we took a while, you know, we rested, we had lunch and walked up a few more places. So it was getting about one o'clock and I was like, you, you know, during that hunt, during a hunt, you kind of feel like it's slipping away and you're kind of like, all right, I, I've got to, I've got to probably let this one go. I, I started to feel that and it was a bit of a bummer, but I, but I was also like so excited that I actually got to take shots that it was okay. Like I was at peace with it. Well, um, you know, with my son and we're, we're just kind of having a great time, you know, we're seeing deer, we're seeing elk and it, it just was great. I mean, I, I just was having such a good time. So I didn't dwell on the fact that like, Hey, we're probably gonna have to call it, you know? We've only got a couple hours left of sun. I don't know where another herd is. I Who knows, right? Well, when I spotted the elk that we were shooting at, I had actually spotted another herd about two or three ridges behind them. So that got me stoked because I was like, wait a minute, you know, we've already spotted some other ones. So that was pretty cool. And we started to head that way and couldn't find them and I was kind of like well that was hours ago you know they're probably off somewhere else well we start going up these rolling hills and this is another learning and kind of a takeaway that I want to share is you know when we're on terrain that isn't totally extreme or hardcore or whatever we've got to really pay attention to distance and supplies water food, make sure that we're okay, even though it's not highly strenuous, but we're out there. And so when you tag out and you're working on an animal and you got to get it back, yeah, it's not like totally terrible terrain, but that was something I greatly, greatly underestimated on this, on this trip. And now that I know the area really well, now knowledge is so powerful. I can definitely do this a lot better next year, which we are. My son was like, we got to do this again next year. He's, he's super amped on it. So it's about, about one o'clock and 
I said, let's just pop over this ridge. Let's kind of open our vantage points. Let's see if we can see anything. My son's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, he's, he's still excited. And so we go up one and we go up another. And I think by that time I was like, man, I'm, I'm kind of pushing my, you know, my time here. We're, we're getting pretty far away from the truck. And, but I just, man, I couldn't let it go. I was just like, I just, it's, it's that drive between balancing logistics and safety and that drive to hunt. I learned that a lot this trip too, but <laughs> so we get above this ridge and bam, I spot like five bull elk on this hillside and I am just like, Becca, my son, you know, I'm like, dude, I found him again. I found him. Check it out. And he's just, what? And it was really cool seeing bull elk because the first herd only had cows. So it's just, to see bull elk out there, I mean, way out there, it, it's indescribable. I mean, that in itself was so impactful to me as a hunter of like, oh my gosh, they're there and they're in their zone, they're in their world, and I'm an observer. It's, oh, it's hard to describe, honestly. And so if that's happened for you, you probably, you know, can feel that same feeling of when you saw it for the first time. Uh, for me, it was definitely the first time and just never had really happened way back in the backcountry. I've got a tag, I've got a rifle, all the things are aligned and I can like be there. It's not off the highway, right? Which has just happened hours before. But it's just different. Like when you're way back in there, there's just this deep respect. There's this deep like solace, you know, of, of that experience. Well, I spotted him and, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but my rangefinder was firing and it was great. And it saw him at 600 yards. So I'm like, what is going on with this rangefinder? My thought was it was lighting. Because at 9.30, it was a little more overcast, uh, not super bright. At 1 o'clock, 1.30, it was bright as day. It was a clear blue sky, and it was good. To, so I kept thinking it was lighting, but I think my hand was a little more steady because the other thing in me was I really was trying to be more mindful and not get so excited. I was like, stay calm. Let's make this happen. So 600 yards. So I said, man, we've got a really good hillside that we can walk into. Let's jump over there. Let's close the distance by 200 yards. Let's see if we can get into 400. So we go, and Beckham's just floating. I mean, he's just like, oh, my gosh, Dad, this is going to happen. Like, we both are just like little kids, you know. Well, he's more of a kid than I am, but I well, I may be more of a kid than he is. Actually, actually <laughs> that's probably more accurate. He, I'm more of a kid than he is. So we cut the distance. And I find this really great spot behind a tree. And I, I clock the, the animals at 450. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all right. Well, here's the thing I want to talk about right there. When I pulled up my scope and I saw the cow elk at 450, looked a little different than that morning at 930. So while I say that I thought the elk earlier in the morning was at 450, 400, Oh no, they were way out farther. And, you know, mistake on my part, that was, I, I should have slowed down. I, I should know my gear better. I thought I understood my rangefinder better. I mean, having it for so many years, 
little bummed by that little bit of a mistake there. And so I pass that along to you to hopefully you don't make that same one. Slow down, get that rangefinder nice and steady, you know, level it on a shooting stick or lay down on the ground and however, you know. Well, again, we're at 450 and it's just like the sun is shining onto the elk and they just are popping out of the hillside. I mean, it was, I mean, it's a far distance, but it's also like, you could almost feel like you could reach out and touch them. It was just so crystal clear. It was, it was incredible. That moment right there was actually one of the funnest parts of the whole hunt, which just that little two minute interval. So I lay my pack down and I, I lay my gun down and I'm getting ready. And I'm like, okay, this is happening. I'm laying on the ground. I'm feeling really steady, very good. My breathing is calm. I don't feel you know, super rushed. And I got my crosshairs on a cow elk, you know, a couple, couple yards from a, a bull. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, this is happening. And they're feeding on these sagebrush, like this whole hillside of sagebrush. And as I was looking at that, I was trying to think of my, you know, research in Google earth research on Onyx, really watching how much prep can you do on a hunt? to help understand where that food is. And that's also something too for later, mark those points on your onyx to say, you know, hey, really good food plot, you know, good sagebrush, this is great for elk. And uh, that just only builds more data for later, right? So so I get set up, and I'm, you know, getting close. I mean, I'm about to pull the trigger and I look over to my right about 200 yards and there's this herd of deer about four to five deer and they spot us i and i gotta be aware of your surroundings because i was focused honed in on the deer or sorry the elk and i looked to my 45 degree angle to the right and there's these deer clear as day i mean there's a wide opening that they can see us but for the elk we're super well hidden It, it was really good oh man that was uh it was crazy because they spotted us and they started moving and they started heading towards the elk almost to like warn them or something like they have this agreement, right? Well, I knew in that moment, I was like, this is it right here. Get locked in and go. And I put my crosshairs about her ear level and, and, um, and shot bam, drops her, like, just, it was, it was one of the wildest moments I've ever had, you know, and I've had such cool bow hunting experiences, but to add the dimension of rifle, it was new to me, because I haven't done a lot of rifle either, I've I've done very, very little, to be honest, bow hunting just had so much excitement to it, in a, in a different way. I just kind of went all in on that. Um, but man, in that moment, just seeing all the things come together and I was like, Oh my heavens, it happened. So I just like, I took that moment in and, and, you know, I'm talking to my son and he's like, Oh my gosh, you got it. You got it. You got it. You know, we're just, we're both just like freaking out. Well, the deer, they come right to the elk and they spook them way out of there and which is interesting because earlier in the day when we 
I had taken all those shots and missed. Um, I, uh, they, they weren't spooked at all. I mean, I had all the time in the world and they weren't busting out of there, which is crazy to me. Cause I'm like, man, you step on a stick with deer and they are out. They are pieced out. Right. Uh, elk are, you know, at that distance, things are just a little different. It's, it's a little bit more forgiving, you know, it's kind of cool. It was, it was really cool. Um, so we're watching the cow and the, the herd just takes off. And this herd that I couldn't quite see just comes out of nowhere down below. Cause I could only kind of see a certain elevation. And I mean like 20 cow elk just come out of nowhere and they follow the bulls and they just peace out like ants on a hillside. It was wild. I mean, I was just like, wow. You know, we're in this backcountry, we're in, you know, beautiful landscape in Utah. Man, I just, it was so much to take in. It was so much to take in. So we're at about 145 now. We get over to the animal. And she'd kind of rolled a little bit and had slid down like 100 yards. And so once she expired, she died, I... um told my son, I'm like, Hey, we got to pull her down even farther. You know, let's use gravity and really move this animal. This thing is huge. I mean, if you've never been around an elk, maybe you have like taxidermy, you know, like walk into a Cabela's or something. And you're just like, okay, that's big. That's massive. When you're there though, like on the hillside, dead elk, it's, it's like nothing. It's not like walking through Cabela's. It is raw. It is real. It is incredible. So, so cool. So we take a few photos. I'm FaceTiming my wife. I'm like, it happened. It happened. Like I am just, and I FaceTime my brother-in-law and he was stoked because I had called him earlier that day about missing. And he was trying to help me a little bit with like ballistics and stuff. And you know, and I, I hadn't reached back out to him, you know, we just kind of got back into it. And so he's like, man, I hadn't heard from you. I was wondering what happened. And I'm standing there next to the elk and, oh man, just cool. So cool to share that. Um, that was another cool thing. We had a lot of cell service, every part of that, this whole hunt. So pull the cow down, get it down probably another 50, 75 yards, which is so great. Like, Trying to move the meat was <laughs> it's kind of the second half of the story. <laughs> that was um, interesting. It was difficult. It was very difficult. The other thing I didn't anticipate and I learned pretty fast was how strenuous it is to work on an elk and pull the meat off, process it, you know, get it kind of, you know, ready to get back to the truck. That right there, wow. I mean, those back straps, I mean, they weigh so much. They're huge. You're managing all this. You're cutting the, you know, pulling the hide back is like pulling out carpet out of a, you know, renovation or something. It was just deer times four. <laughs> and unbelievable. It's just so unbelievable, uh, these beasts that, that we get to hunt. So I'm working on the ammo, get all the meat off, and I'm like, all right, 
let's do this. Well, we're trying to move this meat and it is just darn near impossible. And I've got this 14 year old son. He's super strong. He's super optimistic, but it's like, whoa. And we are pretty far from the truck. I think we are two and a half miles away. And the whole rolling hills that I've mentioned, those all of a sudden became like skyscrapers. <laughs> I mean, really, really underestimated the landscape. And um, so we moved the meat about a half a mile. And it is just, I mean, we look like a circus. You know, it's just like trying all these different methods. We're sliding it. We're dragging it. We're, you know... And I wish I had brought my darn tarp, my little $4 Walmart tarp. That would have, we could have just slid it pretty much the whole way. Snow the whole way, honestly. I, there was very few times we were on dirt, only in, you know, the south-facing sections. But, oh, man, to have a kitty sled. And I kept thinking on those sled marks that I saw earlier. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we need a sled, like, just hit me. Okay. So we're looking at the topography on Onyx and I'm like, okay, we've got two choices here. One, we kind of go more direct to the car, but it's really windy. It's up and down. It's, you know, or we go very direct to the road through private and just walk down to the car on the highway. We could leave the meat and then kind of pick it back up. Well, man, I rolled the dice and I did not roll very well. We had decided to try the pub, the private route. And here in Utah, private's interesting because you can walk on private and not know it. Sometimes there's not gates. Sometimes there's no signs. Um, so Onyx is really, really important. I was on a hunt weeks prior for elk actually for archery and I was intermixed between private and public without even knowing it was like a checkerboard so I kind of made a poor judgment call thinking yeah we'll just walk through this private land oh man this is where things went really south really fast it's probably about 4 four thirty. sundown is 5 it's probably about 15 to 20 degrees with the sun out. <laughs> and the sun starts dipping. And I'm like, man, we got to get out of here, you know. Well, from where we were to the private fence was like the slow rolling gradual downhill. And I was like, this is so nice. Like I can move this meat, you know, we're moving it, whatever, making it work. It was slow. I mean, I look like. I was all over the place. I could barely walk, but we were doing it. We get to this private line, and oh boy, like barbed wire. It's got no trespassing. You'll be via, you know, you'd be prosecuted. Signs everywhere. Just, it, it was like a brick wall, basically. Well, it's about five o'clock, and I'm like, turn to my son, and I'm like, we we can't do this. We, we can't cross this. And he's like, okay, no, that's okay. And I'm sitting here like, man, 
you've got such an incredible attitude about this. I'm sitting here like, dang it, I made a huge mistake. This is terrible. Well, we look up and to the left, south, and it's like this 80-degree double black diamond angled hillside that we have to walk up along the fence line. And I'm like, Beckham, that's the only way home. I mean, we could backtrack and kind of hit some more rolling stuff, but it would add a substantial amount of time. And I was like, you know, I think direct along the fence line is going to be our best bet. He's like, yeah, totally. We got this. And I looked at him and I said, listen, like, I got to drop this meat. We got to drop this meat. There's no way we're getting out of here. It's really getting chilly. We got to think safety. And so I made that judgment call, and that was the right call. That was the right call at that time of night, the time of day, the circumstances. I've got this son who has got strong legs, but I don't want to burn him out. I don't want to overextend. So we dropped the meat. This is one thing I really want to share, and I think it's kind of a cool deal, was we covered it with snow. And then we covered it with sagebrush. And I don't know what happened because I'd never heard of this before. I Sometimes you just get very instinctual out there and you read the situation, you read the animals, you read the, whatever it is. And there's these instincts in us where we just act. And they're actually the right thing. Now, did I have access to Google, YouTube? Absolutely. I mean, I'm FaceTiming people up on the mountain. But... I um, I don't know why. I was just like, you know, I wonder if I put sagebrush on this. Maybe the birds will stay off it. It was also freezing, so I knew that this stuff was going to stay very, very cold. Um, and I, I just had this feeling of ease of like, I think it's going to be okay. And then my other thought was, you know, I'm going to call the private landowner in the morning, maybe get some permission, walk through, get my meat, and then walk out. Well there was a road that I could have driven <laughs> if I had gotten access to private right to the meat, throw it in the back of the truck and peace out. I and mean, it would have been an eight minute situation. More on that later. So we start hiking out and man, it was like a step at a time. It was just slow. It was steep. That first section was just insurmountable. And I was like, Oh my gosh. We get up that, and it kind of gets more rolly and not as bad. And so it was hard. I mean, that was very, very difficult. And I um, didn't do a good job of keeping my wife updated. Um, she's actually here with me right now. She doesn't feel very good. She's got her feet on my lap, and I'm, like, rubbing her feet. <laughs> but um, I didn't do a very good job of updating her of like, Hey, here's where we're at. Here's, you know, well, she reaches out and she's like, Hey, I see on, you know, life 360, you guys are still there. You guys, okay. What's going on? It's dark. And I was like, Oh shoot. You know? So I'm like, Hey, we're, we're okay. We got a little backed up, um, distance wise. We, you know, we're trying to get this meat out. I had to leave it. Um, we're just trying to get back to the truck. We should be back to the truck in like 45 minutes or so. Um, that was a big thing too, like checking in with your loved ones, making sure like they know the plan. I sh could have done a better job at coming up with a plan and 
you know, saying like, hey, here's where we're at. Here's some protocols or some plan Bs or something. I also, with me, I have these Motorola uh, walkie-talkies. Uh, I forgot the model. I'll look it up and link it in the show notes. Um, they've got a GPS on them with no subscription needed. And they also have like an SOS distress signal that goes out to operators of ham radios. Um, no subscription needed. And you don't have to have your uh, radio license. So I feel pretty good about having those now in my pack. And I'm trying to, you know, keep safety in mind. Um, this is where things was definitely not feeling good was, um, walking along. And I tell my son, I said, listen, I'm okay. I know you're okay. We're all okay here. But if for some reason I trip, I fall, I knock my head out, whatever, my phone is in my left pocket. So <laughs> if that happens, call mom, call for help, um, and we'll get it figured out. We, we're on Life 360. You know, we can be tracked. And that was a little hard. That was a little humbling to say because it just kind of felt like I had failed and that I you know, was doing a lot of things wrong. But I also, in the same sense, like, feel like, hey, I need to express this. Um, I don't think I'm going to fall over. I don't think I'm going to have a, you know, problem. Um, but it was just a little bit of that safety that I needed to kind of check in with. Afterwards, when I talked to my son about it later, um, he was praying like crazy. I was praying like crazy. We even said multiple prayers together. Uh, we would hike for about 15 minutes, and I would just be like, hey, son, like, we got to say another prayer. Like, this is, uh, you know, becoming a little out of our hands. We we need that extra push from above. And so, um, but he, he told me later, he had said, all I knew was we had to keep moving. We couldn't stop. You know, we could take little short breaks, but I had to keep moving. And that, honestly, that instinct from him was so accurate. It's like, when you're in that situation, it's getting cold, it's getting dark, you've got to keep moving. You can't just sit there. Um, you know, make, stopping and making a fire is not needed. We weren't cold per se. We were plenty warm. We just, you just can't, you know, slow down. So that was um, the very, very right thing to do. So it seemed like forever. I mean, that was boy, that was hard. And we'd already hiked quite a bit that day. I mean, we had probably done six miles, you know, up and down these rolling hills. And so that last mile was just, whew, it was, it was difficult. But I will say along the way, like when we did pray, I was like, just give me a sign that like, we're going to be okay. You know? And what was interesting was something would happen. Like, you know, we get to go downhill and it was like, oh, okay. You know, catch my breath a little bit. Um, or the private fence line finally ended and we could cut right more directly to the truck, you know, just little things like that were just kept happening. And it was just like, oh, that's the boost I need. Like that's the mental, you know, fortitude that I need. So we made it out. Okay. Thankfully. Um, and I remember just getting in the truck with my son and we're, you know, kind of recovering and our feet are just 
done. I mean, they were tired, soaking wet. Um, it was, yeah, it was icky. And my son looks at me, he's like, you know, dad, that really sucked, but I would totally do it again. <laughs> and I was like, that did really suck, didn't it? Like, it was very, very hard. Um, but that meant a lot that he would kind of look at it that way. And he says, you know, I will do this again someday. He's like, it's not going to be for a while, though. I was like, nope, I get it. It's, that, was, that was a lot. That was a hard hike out. And we didn't, you know, we had to leave the meat behind. Well, this whole time I'm thinking, one phone call, probably get talking to the owners, probably get that meat, no problem. So we get home and start making phone calls the next morning. And I'm like getting totally stonewalled. Finally find the guy I'm supposed to talk to and... I was, I was blown away. I was a little blown away. I mean, he just flat out was like, no. And I was like, the animal died a mile from your fence line, way far away from your land. It's not even on there. But we got to your fence line. We respected to not trespass. And, you know, we just need to go get this meat. Would that be at all possible? I'll walk in. I won't even drive. But it's just like this flat road for a mile and a half I mean it was so so simple and he just was like no no you're you got to figure out another way and I was like dang he did say though he's like you can call fish and game maybe they can help you and then I thought oh there's an idea so I got on with fish and game talked to the local officer he was super helpful very positive he was like man if I didn't have anything to do today. Like I'd go out there with you. I was like, seriously, like super, super kind. I mean, I tried to check all my boxes, tried to keep my, you know, everything clear. Um, but he was like, you know, do you have horses? Is, you know, and I'm like, no. And I called a friend with horses. He, he couldn't make it out for a few days. So it was just, it was tricky. I mean, it was a difficult situation at that time. I couldn't even imagine going back that way. I mean, it, it mentally destroyed me. It was very, very difficult to think about, oh, man, we got to go back to that, like, terrible hillside. It was so steep. Um, so I called my buddy, uh, Kevin Green. Uh, we actually uh, served a Mormon mission together in Korea uh, many, many years ago. Gosh, I think we were joking about it. It was like 20 years almost. Um so we just have this cool bond. We actually live like 20 minutes from each other and our families get along. He's, he's just a really good stand-up dude. He's just that friend where who you call and in two hours he can be ready to go and be like, yeah, let's go get the meat, you know, just, just amazing. I, I couldn't be more thankful for Kevin mentally. He was the uplift that I also needed. Um, and so we went out and, went and retrieved the meat he brought his ice fishing sled and he's like he's like i assume there's quite a bit of snow i said yeah it's pretty thin i mean most of it was six inches or less so it wasn't like tons of snow but he's like let's bring the sled we can just drag it over rocks and dirt doesn't matter it's super durable so we get back to the meat and he's like dang you were out here i'm like yeah well um about a like a half a mile, I'm not even kidding, half a mile from the truck, we're walking in, 
at about 2.30 the afternoon, well, 2.45, 40 elk, half a mile from the truck. Not even exaggerating. I'm, I'm just like, he's like, dang, why didn't you shoot one of those? I'm like, yeah, I definitely would have if I knew they were there. And then we hike in, maybe another quarter mile, bam, another herd. Not even kidding. Like, all, and where the elk were is where my son and I were the previous day, like, walking all over. But we're talking, like, big herds. I mean, 40 plus per herd. So we've spotted now 80 elk in a matter of, like, 20 minutes of walking. Unbelievable. I mean, never have I ever experienced something like this. So we keep hiking, and we get to the private fence line. We start to round that corner. Another herd in private and we kept walking in and then we bumped a herd at 80 to 100 yards i mean just sitting in front of us like another 200 elk within two to 300 yards so i mean we're at like you know three four hundred elk at this point if we look up the mountain bam there's a little small herd of 20 i mean surrounded absolutely surrounded by elk and I really think it was like God's sense of humor of like, you know, if you just would have waited a day, you could have had something a little bit closer to your truck. And the other thing, my son did have a tag as well, but we kind of made the decision with how far back we were. I was like, let's just shoot one elk. Like, I can't fathom processing another one. And I want to be very thoughtful of that. Oh, so we're walking in and... He, I mean, he's just giving me the hardest time in a good way. I needed it. He's like, you know, Adam, you only get one of these. You only get one of these experiences where you uh, <laughs> make these kind of crappy <laughs> judgment calls. <laughs> oh, man. I really think if I would have scouted a little bit more, I think we could have spotted those herds from the road and understood how close they were. I also think, too, when we walked in that first time with me and my son, and we were seeing kill sites within a, within a mile, I should have thought through that a little bit more and not th think that I have to go so far back in there. But it's hard, too, because like when you get in the moment and you're like getting after it and you spot elk, you don't know if you're going to have another chance. We only had one day to hunt. It's just tricky. It's a balance, right? Knowledge is everything. Knowledge is a very powerful piece of equipment. It's invaluable. Well, we got back to the meet. We get below this triple black diamond steep hill. He's like, dang, you're back here, you know? I was like, yeah. we And like I showed him the fence line. He's like, seriously, he wouldn't give you permission? I'm like, no. And the officer, he couldn't do anything either with the DNR in Utah. So it just kind of was what it was. But my, my buddy was like... He's like, dang, this is so simple. He's like, seriously, you could drive a truck right here. And I was like, I know, I know. We got it loaded up in the sled. The sled was the way to go. Like, I've been researching sleds ever since that's been done. And I'm trying to think of some different options. Um, so we get it loaded. And we should have, yeah. We just kind of put it all in the sled. And we start pushing it up this hillside. But, I mean, it's hard because, like, if we would have done the backpacks, we would have been just as slow. So it's just, like, 
couldn't decide what we wanted to do, but he was like, let's just throw it all in. Let's just get up this hill. We start going up this hill, and I'm not kidding. It was a foot at a time. I would yank on the rope. He would lift his leg up, stop the sled. I would reposition, do it again, do it again. That was the longest part of the, like, that was half the travel back was that first hill of, like, 100 yards of that. Insane. It was absolutely insane. And it was crazy because the, the night before when I dropped the meat there, I'm looking up that hill, and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way you could get it up this. Oh, so that was a good learning experience. That was very humbling. Back to the sagebrush and the snow. By covering it, I looked around. There wasn't one piece of distress, a hole in the bag, no sign of bird, no sign of coyote even. It was awesome. It was super, super cool that that little and I don't know if that made the difference maybe if it was left out in the open it would have been fine I just in my head I was like I've got to cover this up you know how could I cover this up a little bit better well we got over the hills and at this point we were just kind of laughing and joking kind of got through that really difficult time and that was that that was that mentality I needed I mean I needed that positive boost it was um it was much welcome uh, the other thing with the sled, I think I got a video of it. Um, we would just kind of let it go on the downhill. And it would literally just skyrocket to the bottom of the hill. It was it was pretty cool. That sled, though, I don't know even know what it was. I think it was a jet sled for ice fishing. That thing was burly. Oh, my gosh. It was hitting rocks. It was everything. I'm like, is your sled going to be okay? Like, I'll buy you a new sled. He's like, no, no, these things are nuts. Like, they'll handle anything. I'm like, dang, man. So sled was the way to go. His was burly. It was about five feet long, really, really heavy. Um, I mean, if you're just dragging, it doesn't matter. But it's, you still got to balance like how far back you want to go in there, you know. And going uphill, even with a sled, that's, that has challenges. I have a game barrel back at my house. And it's got this really cool lock pulley system. And as we were going up these really steep hills, I was thinking, I was like, man, if I had my pulley system, we could anchor it like off a tree or something and literally pull the sled up off a pulley system. It would have been a game changer. So that was something else I kind of took away is bring a, you know, it's a couple pounds. I mean, this is not light stuff, but if you're on a sled and you're just kind of dragging your gear, you know, makes makes it worth it. I guess when I talk about weight, I'm just thinking so much in the mindset of a bow hunter that you have to keep things so light. Um, so that, you know, it's kind of where my head's at most of the time. So we got it back and made it back safe and just can't thank my friend Kevin Green enough. Um, just a really good individual. He really saved the day, really saved the hunt. And yeah, got home, processed all the meat. Definitely added quite a bit uh, to to our our yearly season. So just really fun. Very blessed. It was a lot of prayers. I, I prayed a lot in that two day period, a ton. So thankful for my son Beckham. Um, he was just an absolute champ that whole time. 
that terrible walk back. I mean, that mile, when I say a mile, quite honestly, it's more like two with the up and the down. And it was, I mean, it was tough. It really was. And you're still thinking, you're probably hearing this like, well, it's only two miles. Like, what's the big deal? It, it was rough after that six mile thing we had done earlier. So, oh, good learnings though. Man, I took away a lot. I took away a lot this trip. And I, again, I really did make the conscious choice of like, no, I'm not a sole bow hunter. I, I, I am going to rifle hunt, especially after the success on this one. I definitely going to weave more, uh, you know, elk hunting and rifle into my, into my world. I do have another son below the, my 14 year old who's coming into hunting age. And so, you know, rifle would be a good kind of way to get him into it. And but I, I very was conscious, you know, bringing this story forth because I think there was so much to take away. And that time to, that we did bump those elk at about 80 yards, I mean, I, yeah, if I was with a bow and was paying more attention, I mean, I have the video up on my Instagram of me filming those. And I'm just talking at normal voice, you know, trying not to disturb them too much. But, like, seriously, I, I could have been way more sneaky and gotten into them, uh, which would be quite the quite the experience so that is that is our elk hunt recap and 2022 rifle cannot believe it cannot believe it happened um it's just a long time coming i've elk hunted many years and just really come up with nothing no sightings no just haven't gotten into them and so for this to happen like this i just can't be more grateful so i hope as you're listening you know that couple things kind of stick out to you of maybe things you do different the one piece of equipment the two pieces i wish i had was a a a shooting stick um i have had one before but like going more into bow hunting you just don't have to have a shooting stick i did bring my hiking poles thankfully that was a game changer um but a shooting stick would have been nice because my son could have used that because we were swapping the, the hiking poles back and forth so Keeping it, I've, I found a monopod Primos, um, really good deal actually, and so gonna run with that. And then obviously a sled situation. Well, one I'll share in the show notes is this Magnum sleigh ride, sleigh or something, but it's basically like this rolled up piece of plastic and it rolls out and then it's got these grommets along the sides and you just kind of fold it into the animal and it, you just drag it looks like a National Lampoon's Christmas vacation situation with how fast that sucker looks. I mean, that thing would be like a speed rocket, you know, if you put it down a hill. But by looking at videos, photos, um, doing research on reviews, people are dragging this thing and it, and it works. Um, some people are dragging it over rocks and it is tearing. Big surprise. Um, <laughs> but it looks like a burly piece of plastic and I think I'm going to add that to our elk hunt next year because we will be doing this again a hundred percent i i've got it figured out now i understand the terrain i understand private versus public um i uh you know know a lot more than i did and that is the best gear to bring with you is knowledge so all right 
that's it for me. That's episode 50. I can't believe it. Uh, I, I want to knock out one more episode before the year wrapped up. Maybe I'll do one next week. Um, but I want to make sure I hit 50. I just had it in my head. And, and it's kind of a fun 50th episode, even though, ironically, it's not about bow hunting. <laughs> but it is my first cow elk hunt. And that, man, I don't know. It, it just meant, it meant a lot is so many years culminated and it, it almost like made me think of like why this podcast was started was because of that is all that failure and not tagging out for so many years culminated into you know getting an animal and it just kind of reinforced my passion for this sharing information sharing those dumb little mistakes that maybe are embarrassing to talk about I don't know why. I just, I'm not embarrassed anymore. Um, I, I try to be ethical. I mean, that's number one. It's, you don't want to mess with that. I'm, I'm not saying that, but, you know, judging distance, judging weight. Um, I, I just, I made some bad calls this, this hunt and wouldn't, wouldn't have done those again. And so good news is I'll have another chance and I won't have to do it that way. I can shake it up. So. Well, that's it for me. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great Christmas with the the family. Merry Christmas uh, to you and to your family. Hopefully you got some fun gear under the tree. I know I do. I um, actually just got a butchering set. Um, Yeah, it's like a five knife set by DeFacto. I'm pretty amped on this stuff, dude. Oh my gosh. Oh, and then my brother-in-law, Brian, shout out to him. He got me one of those Warthog knife sharpeners. Because seriously, I was up till like midnight the other night butchering that elk. So I'm in total knife mode right now. Anyway, um, really fun. So that's under the tree that I know of. Um, and then I did get Josh Kirchner's uh, Backcountry bow hunting book as well. So, all right. Um, I'm going to go get back to the family. And I hope you are too. Hope you have a great uh, Christmas. And I hope you have a great 2023 Uh especially in the new year, I'm going to be talking about kind of planning for future hunts, also honing on skills, training. It just never ends. You know, it never ends. There's, there's really no breaks and it's, there's always something we can be doing with hunting. So, all right. Thanks so much. Please consider leaving a review on Apple podcasts that really helps out and I will catch you on the next one.